The Old Testament reading for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost is from Genesis chapter 32. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Fathers in the room, have you ever heard your children say this? Dad, will you wrestle with us? Or people in the room in general, have you ever said to your father, do you recall ever saying, Dad, will you wrestle with us? Or maybe an older brother or older sister. Although things can get kind of dicey sometimes with the siblings, because if you push them a little too hard, they'll snap on you like a you know, garage door tension spring, and uh, that whole fun thing will be over real quick. Parents usually don't do that. My kids say often, Dad, will you wrestle with us? Can we wrestle? And it's usually between like 4, four o'clock and 5 4 or 5.30, right when we're like trying to get dinner ready. You know, it's that time of the day. They just need to exercise their wrinkles. And by wrestling, they mean I lay on the floor and they all jump on me. It's not, it's not really like, you know, um, like a regulated, you know, match with points and everything. It's like just lay down on the floor we'll, and they even grab a pillow off the couch for my head. And then they just jump. They just jump on me. And it's fun for all of us, but it's fun in different ways. They're trying their hardest. They're grunting and laughing and giggling. And I'm not even close to trying my hardest. In fact, most of my effort is devoted to managing their momentum so that heads don't knock together, <laughs> that teeth don't get chipped, that I don't get injured, that nobody falls on the baby. When we think about God being present with us in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our struggles and trials, something similar is going on. We are experiencing things one way. God is experiencing them a different way. Perhaps more often than we think, things that scare us, things that bring us to the edge, that test our limits, that feel like a fight for our lives, are, to God, a wrestling match with his children. When God wrestles with us, he wants us to win. And here's why. God loves when we get him in an arm bar or an ankle lock or a triangle choke or otherwise make him give in by reminding him, you promised this to me. 
I'm baptized. I'm supposed to be able to trust in you for deliverance from sin, deliverance from the devil, deliverance from death even. And I know, God, we sing about the promise of the resurrection. And kids, you learned about that in Sunday school this morning. But oftentimes it feels like death surrounds me. You're supposed to be for me, God. You're supposed to be for me. God wrestles with us in order to exercise our faith. He draws us into situations where we come at him. Because otherwise, not complaining, not lamenting, not going to God when things go wrong might indicate that we have rather low expectations of our God. What was he going to do about it anyway? Right? When something is not working, you, you maybe, uh, oh, well, what's the joke nowadays? Uh, I'd like to speak to your manager. Yeah. People get labeled things, you know, all the time for asking to speak to a manager. Can we, can we elevate this to a supervisor? I did that once on the phone, and the guy told me I am the supervisor. And that, it doesn't always work out the way we want it to. You know, you, sometimes you power up on somebody and they're like, yeah, you're, you're already there. Sorry. God wants us to win. He wants us to fight for the things that he has promised to give us. Like a father wants his children to trust that when he throws them up into the air, sometimes outside, like 10 feet into the air, when these guys were really little, with no net, you know, they weren't wrapped in bubble tape or foam or anything like that. You know, that I would catch them. And I don't do that anymore because I don't trust myself to actually catch them every time because they're too big. But those kinds of things, what you come out of the end of something like that, and what's happened? You've built more trust. Kids learn to trust their parents through things like that. We learn to trust God when we wrestle with him and he lets us win. Let's look at Genesis 32 to see how this works out for Jacob. To set the stage, Jacob has fought all his life to be blessed by God. Remember, he came out of the womb hanging on to his twin brother's ankle, to his heel. He was not going to be left behind. And there, the story of Jacob and Esau is... uh, full of twists and turns and things that seem like God showing favoritism without any, like, what's the deal? Why, why is Jacob the favored one and Esau is not? Usually the firstborn is the one who's supposed to be favored. And the apostle Paul even cites this, I think, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, where he says, God does what he wants to do. It says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. It's God's prerogative to make decisions like that and not necessarily have to explain them all to us. But as regards Jacob, he's outsmarted others when he's needed to, with the help of his mother right at the start, you know, when he wears the goat skins and goes in and steals the blessing that was rightly Esau's from his father Isaac, and then runs away. And he has outsmarted, it's his uncle, I think, right, Laban? And he's also been outsmarted by Laban, right? He worked seven years, something like that, in order to marry Rachel, and then Right at the last minute, uh, Laban switches Rachel and Leah, and Jacob marries Leah. 
And then he, got, he has to work another seven years. And it says, like, the seven years were like a day for, for Jacob because of his love for her. And that's, right, how we get the beginning of the sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel. But what's common to every episode in Jacob's life here throughout Genesis is cunning and a little bit of deceit and trickery. And he's fighting because he believes that God has blessed him, that God has uniquely called him, that the blessing of God remains on him and nobody is going to take it away. And so when we meet him in chapter 32, he's confident in God's direction for his life. And now God tells him to go home. See your brother, the one who you think is going to kill you. You just heard, you, 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 got, you uh, received a messenger from him that says Esau is coming to meet you and he has 400 men with him. Now, if you had a family struggle and you sent word to an estranged brother that you were coming to meet him with 400 of your strongest friends, um, right? That would escalate the tension somewhat. So Jacob is freaked out. He's praying. It's the middle of the night. He sent his whole family and his household ahead of him across the Jabbok. And what happens here? A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Just like that. He's not introduced. All of a sudden, the man is wrestling with Jacob, and they wrestle a long time. Are there any former wrestlers in here? Competitive wrestlers? You can raise your hand, or you can just nod. Yeah? Okay. No? <coughs> Do you know about how long like, a, a wrestling match is? We, have, we talked about this in Bible study, and someone said it's like three two-minute rounds or something like that. That sounds about right. Okay. These guys wrestled for hours until the sun came up. And the Hebrew language here is really evocative. It talks about... Uh, um, the way it's translated, we miss one little thing here. It's like they were stirring up dust. It, it was a, there was a cloud of dust around them from how they were sliding and stepping and trying to get position on the ground. And all we know that this man, not an angel, a man, very important, appears and wrestles with Jacob. And the man sees that he does not prevail against Jacob. And what does he do? He touches his hip socket, and puh! No, not really. I don't think that's what happened. I think this man, and I'm just going to say this now, this is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. This is a Christophany. There's a $10 word for that. Jesus appearing before the incarnation, like he appeared in the fiery furnace in the days of Daniel. Like he appeared to Joshua and told him to march around Jericho seven times. So Jesus gets some kind of, I mean, he pulls some kind of move on Jacob and yanks his hip out of place. Now, if you've ever had a dislocated joint, um, you know that that's quite painful, and I imagine the hip is exquisitely painful. And yet Jacob keeps wrestling. You know, back to the adult wrestling with kids thing, maybe we should specify parents wrestling with kids, because if it's just any old random adult and just any old random kids, then this thing, there are lots of questions maybe that need to be addressed. But if it's a parent wrestling with kids, when it's time for dinner, in my case, I can just get up. Okay, we're done now. Um, the adult is in full control of the situation the entire time. When we're done, we're done. Okay, the kids don't really, you know, they, they don't really have a say in this. And I think that's kind of like what Jesus did here. All right, I got to go. The day is breaking. 
We don't know why that meant that Jesus had to leave, but he said, enough is enough, Jacob. Yoink! And he dislocates his hip. And Jacob still says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, Dr. Martin Luther is convinced that Jacob is asking this man to retract curses and threats that this man had uttered throughout their wrestling match, right? That Jacob didn't, under, didn't understand that this was Jesus. He didn't recognize who this was. And this was somebody wrestling Jacob. Maybe, and, and Luther says, it is extremely doubtful that they were silent this whole time. As they're fighting, there were some fighting words thrown back and forth too, Luther says. God isn't really for you, Jacob. It's time for you to die. You stole the blessing from Esau, and now you're going to get yours. Luther says, quote, Such examples teach us that faith should not yield or cease urging or pressing on, even when it is already feeling God's wrath, and not only death and sin. This is the power and strength of the Spirit. Christ, while still wrestling with Jacob and with his omnipotence concealed, wants to be dismissed. But Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Why? Because you said that I have been cursed, and for this reason my soul is confused. Therefore, take back that sentence and bless me. You must provide me with a retraction, or I will not let you go. Now, how many of you can relate to Jacob's situation? Remember that Jacob has, many times in his life, thought to receive a blessing from God. His life has been a struggle to receive God's favor. Have you ever felt that way? That God's blessing does not come easily? Things were finally now starting to go Jacob's way, and in a big way. And God tells Jacob, go back to your home and to your brother. Yeah, yeah, I know, the, the one brother you have, the one who sounded like he wants to kill you. I will be with you. This brought Jacob to the point of seeking solitude in the night to clear his head and pray. What are you doing, God? Where are you leading me? How is this going to work out? I've prayed that. Maybe you have too. Then Jacob finds himself attacked and in a struggle for his life against a foe who, as far as Jacob can tell, is bent on his death. Have you ever felt like you're fighting for your life to hang on to your faith? God, friends, has promised so much to you. The breadth and depth of what God has done for us is something we are going to marvel at for all eternity. We catch glimpses of it now. One day we will understand it fully and we will give it the praise that it is due, that our God is due. But sometimes, even oftentimes, we get lax and lazy here and now and we don't take hold of what God has done for us. The promises of the promises of forgiveness and a clear conscience and freedom to love and serve our neighbor. To live like we know the end of the story. We we take all of those things for granted. And they are granted to us, but we don't appreciate it. We don't build our lives upon it. We don't trust the one who's proven himself to be trustworthy. So God challenges us. And we're not always able to tell when it's him 
when it's just the reality of living in a broken world, oftentimes he disguises it. Like Jacob, a man that showed up and wrestled. And Jacob didn't realize until the very end of that encounter that that was God I was wrestling with. God starts a wrestling match with us, not to beat us, but that we stretch ourselves in order to lay claim to what he has already promised. Like Jesus wrestling Jacob into submission, God will wrestle us until we too say, bless me, God, bless me. And bless you, he will. Because the foundation of God's blessing is not the fact that Jesus once allowed Jacob to defeat him in a wrestling match way back in Genesis 32. That's not the foundation that we build all this on. The foundation is that Jesus allowed our sins to suffocate the life from his lungs as he hung on the cross for us. Our God gives life to us as he is beaten. He allows himself to be put into submission in order to grant us liberty. The weakness of God gives us strength. The pain of God gives us healing. The death of God gives us life. Crux sola est nostra theologia. The cross is our theology. The cross is our theology. There, where God suffered the greatest defeat is where we find our greatest victory. Once for our salvation and continually throughout our lives, every time we need strength, God invites us to strive with him and to prevail. Because he loves us and he cares for us. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.